What is the Sussex Central Shuffle? Perhaps the best person to answer that question is the man who sees it every day in the hallways of Sussex Central High School. In a moment, Principal Bradley Layfield and some other guests will join us to discuss the shuffle and some other issues that make daily life at the school difficult. I'm Dave Mall, and this is the IRSD Spotlight. Okay, Bradley, what is the Sussex Central Shuffle? Well, it's something the students coined several years ago because you really can't walk in the hallways, and it's just more of a, you do just that shuffle. Uh, in, in more recent years, the last couple of years, I've, I've heard it called the March of the Penguins as much as I've heard <laughs> the Sussex Central Shuffle. I mean, you know, they said, you know, just walk like a bunch of penguins, small steps, you shuffle along. And just to be clear, this is because there are so many students in the hallways. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, more and more uh, students keep coming, but the hallways are made of concrete, so they don't get any wider. <laughs> yeah. We have had to add, uh, last year, we had to add another minute in between classes, so it is impacting instruction. I know a minute between you know five classes a day doesn't seem like much, but if you calculate that over 180 school days, that's, that's multiple hours of instruction missed simply because you cannot traverse from one side of the school to the other. How long has this been a problem, or I guess I should say, when did you first start to notice this was a problem? Well, we've had a lot of growth. Since I began as an assistant principal, uh, my first uh, September 30th unit count meeting uh, was in, the, in September of 2011. At that time, we had 1,215 students. And my projection for next year right now, based on what we have coming in the eighth grade, is 1,765. That's 45% growth, nearly. It's about 44% growth. It really started to impact things in the 2014-2015 school year. Um, that's where we were. We were still quote unquote under capacity. We were 1450, and uh, you know when they say the building capacity is 1500, I'm not sure exactly who creates that and you know how many desks there are versus how it impacts. But we really started to see it that year when we were at 1450. But um, as I said, that that 40. 45% growth over you know less than 10 years is tremendous. What types of challenges, just in general, does this present on a daily basis for both students and staff? Well, there's more of everything. There's obviously more kids. Then you have a need for more teachers, more specialists. Obviously, uh, mental health concerns are growing, uh, not only in Southern Delaware, but I think statewide. So uh, a lot of counselors, uh, both in school and outside counselor services, so office space, more desks, uh, obviously classroom space, which is why we're we're asking the taxpayers for this referendum. And um, it's we've had to create spaces. You know, closets are now offices. We had alcoves that we built walls with a door in it. And now that's an office. Um, scheduling becomes a huge issue. Uh, for years, we've had teachers on carts, or what we call our floating teachers. Now we have over 20 of them. I think it might even be 26. I'm not sure right off the top of my head. Lunches are really, are really overcrowded. In order to add another lunch, it becomes extremely complicated without having one class that is a half an hour longer than all the other classes. If I'm a 10th grade English teacher and my first, second, and third period are 60 minutes, but in order to accommodate you know, a fourth lunch, 
now I have my fourth period is going to be, I don't know, 85 or 90 minutes. What do you do to fill in that half hour? It becomes, you know, wasted time or things of that nature. So those are some issues. I know with floating teachers in other teachers' regular classrooms, particularly in science classes, you know, where they have to set up labs and things of that nature, it becomes difficult. Also, we have our CTE pathways where they work on computers, you know, hardware and things like that for repair. So you need space, and if you've got a teacher floating in that class, they can't really set those sort of things up. Probably most concerning to me is, because student safety is number one, if there's a discipline incident or other serious incident at the exchange of a class, response time is, uh, the Sussex Central Shuffle, as funny as that is, really impedes the ability for administrators or our school resource officer or constable to be able to respond to somewhere that might not be in their near vicinity. Now, we're, we're blessed to have teachers and people at posts ever, all throughout the school when there's an exchange of classes, but if something requires you know multiple people to respond, it's a high school. Students get in fights, yeah. and we want to make sure to protect their safety that we've got plenty of adults there, and response time is, is what makes it most critical. It should be noted that we're discussing this issue because the Indian River School District will be hosting a major capital improvement referendum on Tuesday, May 6th seventh to seek the construction of a new Sussex Central High School. Currently the school houses, as Bradley said, nearly 1,700 students in a building that was designed for 1,500. In five years the enrollment is expected to top 1,900. The new school being proposed in the referendum will have a total capacity of 2,200 students and alleviate the overcrowding problems currently faced by students and staff. From a personal perspective, what's it like for you when you get called out in the hallway in between classes? Yeah, as I said, you know, if the secretaries call for not just me, a custodian, you say you got a toilet overflowing, <laughs> things like that, uh, some of those things, you know, have to wait until the hallways, you know, start to thin out or clear out. It, it, it is problematic in trying to get anywhere in that exchange of classes, and some, some periods are worse than others. You've talked about it a little bit, but I want you to ex- expand on it a little, and that's the cafeteria yeah. issue. I've been in there uh, during a, a lunch period, but I want to hear you talk about what's it like in the cafeteria during mm-hmm. a typical lunch period. I'm talking to colleagues who are principals at, in other buildings, uh, even William Penn, which is the largest building in the, or excuse me, the largest school by population in the state of Delaware. Um, most schools that get to the you know 1800 or more build construct you know two cafeterias, two auditoriums, two gymnasiums. Uh, we have one of all of those things here, and we've been very very creative in working with uh, Cliff Toomey, who oversees our nutrition services. That um, we feed over 500, uh, really over 525 students per lunch, and over the past couple of years we've installed fresh food vending machines. Um, we also have put in a fourth a la carte line for students that just want a bag of chips or a drink but we have three serving lines that are attached to our kitchen and we're not going to get any more than that. So many many students will come to the cafeteria either get in line and wait for more than half the lunch or sit down at the table with their friends until the lines you know uh, thin down and then go up and our cafeteria ladies do an excellent job, but most of the kids, it's it's 10 minutes or less the time they actually have to eat. And there aren't many empty seats in that cafeteria. There are not many empty <laughs> seats. Now, as we said, we, we count all the tables. We have a capacity, uh, assuming all the tables are up and going and they're not broken and are repaired. We have the capacity, I think, to seat about 550 to 560. So it becomes very strategic when it comes scheduling. We have to bring it down to the exact classroom to even them out as much as possible. 
if if you're forced to add an extra lunch period or extra lunch periods, mm-hmm. um, that could lead to a situation. And correct me if I'm wrong, where a student could be very early in the day or very yeah. late in the day. Correct. Right. Yeah. Our last lunch doesn't end now until one thirty, uh, which is late in comparison to others. And we would have lunches starting, you know, in the ten o'clock hour. Uh, and as I said before, that has a serious instructional impact. Um, next year, we're actually going to pilot something very unique because we're trying to do everything we can with with the ability we have of running two schedules in the same building simultaneously where certain teachers and students would loop class to class to create a fourth lunch which will be smaller only about 100 150 students just to alleviate the rest of our normal three lunches um and on paper it works i'll let you know how it works (laughs) next year once once we have it in place yeah i have to say i was recently in the cafeteria at lunchtime and uh, i was amazed at how many students were crammed in there during a single lunch period here now to give us a first person perspective about it is student Braden swain Braden, tell us about your overall experience at lunchtime here at sussex central uh crowded (laughs) um yeah it's it's not comfortable just because it's so loud and it's almost like you have to yell at the person sitting across from you just to make sure that they know what you're saying. I'm, I've, I've, there's been a few times where I've just been sitting on the other side and I have no idea what everybody else is talking about. Just because, across the table. Just across the table, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it, it's really uh, condensed and, and not ideal. Mm-hmm. Typically, how long are the serving lines during a typical lunch period? Well, the, um, the lines themselves will fill out probably about half of the length of the cafeteria mm-hmm. so and there's three lines not including the um if you don't want to do the school lunch you can go into a separate line and get the uh, peanut butter jelly sandwich or you know whatever um, but the three main lines that is the school lunch those will be about equal length about you know, 25 yards each um, and it's about half the length of the cafeteria and it's it's um if you if you don't get there if you don't get there right at the uh, at the start of the lunch period, you're stuck in this line for like ten five, five anywhere from five to fifteen minutes. When that happens, mm-hmm. how much time does that leave you to eat once you finally get your food and sit down? It, depending on when you get in 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 line, it if you get there late, it can leave you probably about fifteen minutes. <laughs> wow! Um, it, especially if especially if. If you want to copy something down in, in your class right before you go, or you you just want to get this one last thing done, then you end up being one of the last people to get into the lunchroom, and end up being uh, in a hurry to finish your lunch. Is this something that you and your fellow students talk about a lot? <laughs> you know, just amongst yourselves during the course of the day? Yeah, actually, <laughs> um, we and we end up talking about it a lot just because we get kind of annoyed with it uh, as far as because we. A lot of my friends are in IB, and they are constantly having to cram work in as, as often as possible uh, and often end up getting to lunch late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they end up having to eat lunch really quick <laughs> and then going back and being as focused as they were before. Yeah. And it's, it's something that uh, can be strenuous, especially with so many people and uh, having to you know do everything so quickly. It, mm-hmm. it, it can you know, distract you. Can it be, I, I've been in, like I said, I've been in the cafeteria and it's like every table is full, every seat is full. Is that a bit uncomfortable, so to speak? Uh, I mean, yes. Um, it, 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 it's almost as if you're sitting down walking through a hallway. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I I remember I like it was just yesterday or uh, there was somebody sitting on the floor because they didn't they didn't want to be so crammed. Mm-hmm. They were just sitting on the floor eating. Just needing some personal space. Yeah, right? just yeah. needing just not <laughs> not being able to function with so many people. Well, speaking of the hallways, uh, uh, your your principal Bradley Layfield has talked about the Sussex Central Shuffle that he calls it, with the kids crammed into the yeah. hallway. What tell us your experience about that? I've been here for four years, and this is the worst year. It is literally like trying to walk. Have you ever been in like water that's been like over three feet? Yeah, it's like trying to walk through that. <laughs> it, it's it it's doable and it's manageable, but it's like we even had to when I first started here, we had four minutes to get from one class to the next, mm-hmm. and because of so many people coming into the school, we had to extend that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because of the overpopulation, we it's taking out instruction time. Yeah, and it, it's just it's so difficult because trying to get through one of the doorways that are built it it gets jammed up and so you go from having a slightly slower than average pace to not moving do you find it hard do you still find it hard to get to class on time if sometimes if you have if, classes if, that are far away especially yeah especially if it if you're in the e wing and you have to get a class that's in the b wing you might not you might barely get to class on time yeah and and it, then it, that puts another you know layer of stress on you to get the class and not get so many tardies that you get a referral and, yeah, yeah. and so many things like that and it's um it, it's strenuous it can be very strenuous especially for people who don't like being in uh, with, around so many people and it, it's I haven't had a day at the school where I haven't bumped into somebody else mm-hmm. d- while walking the hallway yeah and it's um. It's like trying to walk through a New York subway station. Yeah. But students aren't the only ones affected by the overcrowding. Currently, there are 22 teachers at Sussex Central who do not have classrooms. One of those teachers is with us now, Shelby DeCostanzo. Shelby, what do you teach here at Sussex Central? I teach English to um, English language learners. Teach ninth grade English. Okay. Um, You currently do not have a classroom. No, I do not have a classroom. What is your life like on a daily basis? It is, uh, it's pretty crazy not having a classroom. I initially thought that I didn't want the headache of a classroom, so I was, I volunteered to float so that other teachers could have a home base. And I packed up all of my things in a milk crate and walked from class to class. And um, it's particularly uh, difficult to try to anticipate what you're going to need for the entire day. And it's also difficult to not necessarily have, um, not have a presence in a classroom where it's like I could have visual aids or things of that nature mm-hmm. hanging to help my kids. So you don't have, you can't personalize a classroom. Since you move from classroom to classroom with every different period, you don't have anything you can personalize in there to, or any visual No, aid. I teach English in a history classroom. I teach English in a math classroom. Um, I teach in a t- in a tech classroom, like a graphic arts classroom, and I have one class in an English classroom. Yeah. Now you mentioned a, a milk a milk crate, but that's going to change soon. Starting I, today, yes, I, I got a cart and an elevator <laughs> key, and I don't know what's going to be worse because the hallways are extraordinarily crowded. And a funny story, uh, a few weeks ago, I was walking with my milk crate to my side and I hit a student in the shin during class change. She was fine. She realized I was a teacher. I was like, I'm sorry. But I mean, it's really, really crazy. And trying to get a crate, I thought I would be more compact. Mm -hmm. Now I have a cart. So I'm excited about it because I'll be able to have more things with me. 
but I think it'll be quite interesting to see how I navigate the hallways. Yeah, do you think? Change. Do you think it could be a little more? A, a little more difficult to push that car. I oh mean, I've been goodness. in here when the classes are changing. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to put something on it, like a bumper or something. Yeah. <laughs> put some pool noodles around it. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about, just in general, what it's like to be in the hallways at the change of classes just on a daily basis, what that's like? It is around. really – it's something that I never anticipated being such a challenge as it is. But these halls – are crowded and in a situation like myself where I'm responsible for students monitoring their entrance to the class greeting them I've got to move from one classroom to another classroom as expeditiously as possible and it is it really does make you feel a great deal of anxiety um, sometimes anger Sometimes frustration, um, impatience, uh, it's because you're gridlocked. It's almost literal gridlock in the hallways. Yeah. Um, the, the main hall where all of the people enter the wings is an absolute nightmare. And so by the time you get to, your, to where you're going, you're having a stress response. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're having an adrenal response. Yeah. You're secreting cortisol. It's just like, oh, I made it here alive. Yeah. But uh, the hallways are, it, it's been staggering to see the crowding. And I can, in the mornings when we try to, we try to buzz to our planning area because we don't have a classroom and before the kids come in. But if the kids are coming in when you're trying to transition, you can you just cannot get through. Yeah, and the the student we just talked to mentioned that if if you have classes on not opposite sides of the buildings, maybe in different wings, mm -hmm. it can be hard to get there on time. Very like, much so. Have you had an issue with that? Uh, like you said, in your travels from one room to the other, have you ever had an issue? Oh with my that? goodness, yes. I um, for the first portion of the year, I would go in with a geometry teacher and offer her support. And I was joke with her that she's going to have to write me a detention for the amount of parties <laughs> because I was on the bottom end of one hallway downstairs and she was on the top floor at the opposite hallway. And it was, and I believe, and I, I may be incorrect in this, but I do believe that they extended the class change time one minute from four minutes to five minutes because to give time to kids trying to get from one end of the building to the other. But even though we have a five minute class change, I'm not dilly-dallying in the halls. I'm not high-fiving my friends. I'm not chatting. I am going, going, going. And sometimes it's difficult for me to get from one end of the building to the other in five minutes because you just cannot move. Is that just in general, is that just unnerving to be in amongst that many people just walking down a hallway? It is. Yeah. It is. And I... I think about it in terms of there are all kinds of different people that have all kinds of different circumstances. They have different um, traumatic backgrounds. They have different relationships with anxiety, stress, um, dealing with crowded situations and things of that nature. And, you know, I don't, I don't personally suffer from any of those. But I can only imagine how much that exacerbates the situation because I feel... Totally, I could be in the greatest mental space in the world, but by the time I'm, you know, done navigating the hallways, it takes me a minute to kind of catch my breath, get my head on straight, and begin to proceed. It's it's very very unnerving. Um, and again, something I had no idea would even be an issue until I started walking the halls and 
I at first was like, wow, these kids really do move slow. And then I was realizing that it was about the amount of heads that we're trying to get from point A to point B. You just can't physically move that many bodies in five minutes. It's something else. Bradley, what else would you like to tell the public about the overcrowding problem here in, in your school and the need for a new high school? Well, that we've already been doing a lot of things. Teachers floating in classrooms, uh, strategically putting planning periods so that there are open classrooms any given period. Uh, we, have, we run a five-period day here. The one, we only have one period where there's, I think, four, five, maybe six classrooms open. We uh, Three of our five periods a day, there are no more than three classrooms in this entire building open. And we're utilizing the cafeteria as a classroom, sometimes multiple classes in the cafeteria. Uh, the theater is the classroom for the theater students. In an ideal world, they would have classroom work and then only use the theater when they're performing. Um, we've done a lot of unique things to, to that extent already. Many of our seniors who may not be college bound or may just be looking at the two-year college, they're on work study where they are, they're here for the first one, two, maybe three periods, and then they leave before lunch. Others who may have a nighttime job that doesn't end until midnight, obviously our 18-year-olds or seniors, they're, they're coming in for the third, fourth, and fifth period. In order, and that's, that's been critical just to alleviate space. So we, we've done a lot of really unique things thus far. So, and it's not just a Sussex Central problem. The overcrowding in the entire northern end of the district and even the overcrowding they have down at Selbyville and Indian River. I think the district has been wise and our school board has been wise that if you build one new school and then you have extra room here to make this a middle school, it can alleviate space from the Georgetown area because current Georgetown students can join Millsboro Middle students when they come to this building. It creates a new elementary in the building that is currently Millsboro Middle and by just redrawing those lines smartly and building one building, it saves tens of millions of dollars over the alternative of massive expansion here and a new middle school and another new elementary school. So I think it's very wise, although, uh, let's face it, no one wants to raise their taxes, but I think there's a, there's a very big need for it. Portable classrooms, we can make do. We've done that before, but long term, it's not affordable. We have to rent these buildings. Ultimately, every dollar that goes towards renting a portable building takes money away and dollars away from instructional materials that, that impact the classroom, that, uh, the classrooms in the building. Not to mention there's safety concerns associated. Yeah, obviously, you know, we're going to have fencing that has to go around. And we've seen growth here at Sussex Central. I mean, I can't speak district-wide, but I can speak of Sussex Central. Our percentage of demographics of uh, free and reduced lunch, poor, uh, African-American, Hispanic, white, our percentages haven't changed uh, over the past, you know, seven, eight, nine years. From when we were at 1,215 students to next year when we're going to be over 1,760, those percentages haven't changed. We've seen growth in all demographics. There is a building boom in, uh, in the central part of Sussex County. I'd be remiss if I didn't say we're very lucky to have resilient students. I know you spoke to Braden Swain uh, that, that can adapt and make the best out of any situation. And it takes a phenomenal group of educators to be able to work as a team, to give up, you know, quote unquote, my room for another teacher and um, to allow that floating teacher to make it to their next class. Go to the classroom a few minutes early so you can cover the kids until the bell rings. It's, it takes a team approach. But my biggest fear, and what I'll wrap up and telling you, is that even with portable classrooms that we're going to have you know, for the next few years, even if the referendum passes, if the referendum does not, not only from a, a cost 
uh, factor. But because all the common areas aren't going to change, the hallways aren't going to get wider. We're not going to have another gymnasium. We're not going to have another cafeteria. It will, in the long run, impact instruction. And that's, that's, that's the most important thing we do other than keeping the kids safe. And that's going to impact their future. You know, are they going to be able to get into that college? Are they going to be able to have a successful future if we're not able to provide the instruction at the high level that we currently do uh, because we're impacted by space constraints? In addition to the construction of a new Sussex Central High School, the referendum will seek eight new classrooms at Indian River High School and four new classrooms at Selbyville Middle School. These construction projects will allow the district to renovate and repurpose two existing school buildings. Millsboro Middle School would move into the existing Sussex Central High School building and the existing Millsboro Middle School would be converted into an elementary school. These projects will not require a property tax increase and therefore are not included on the referendum ballot. It is also worth noting that the proposed new high school will be built on land that is already owned by the school district, creating additional savings to taxpayers. So how is this going to affect the average district taxpayer? Let's let Superintendent Mark Steele address that issue. Tax increase would be approximately $69, uh, and that would be in the fourth year of the um, uh, bond. And for that, we would be getting a new 2200 student high school at Sussex Central, eight additional classrooms at Indian River High School, and four additional classrooms at Selbyville. The byproduct of this is we are going to be able to utilize the old Sussex Central High School and the current Millsboro Middle School to uh, create new spaces for our large enrollment of middle schoolers as well as our increasing enrollment of elementaries. So we're able to take care of everything on the northern end of the district with building only one school. So uh, basically the way I understand it is Millsboro Middle School would move into the existing Sussex Central High School building once the new high school is built. And then we would convert the existing Millsboro Middle School into an additional elementary school. That's correct, Dave. And even when we move into the old Sussex Central High School with the middle schools, we will only be moving in approximately 1,000, maybe 1,100 kids. We still have ample space for another five to 600 kids in that facility in the future should we need that. The $69 tax increase that we discussed earlier, that's not all going to come at once either, is it? No. This is a project that's got a, a bottom line of $0.35. Cents. Uh, however, when you look at the increase and decrease on taxes, it's 32 So you're going to see a four-year phase-in. And the phase-in and the draw on the bond money equates to uh, exactly like building a house. The first year is going to be very low. It's only going to be a $0.02 increase in the taxes or about $2.76 for the average taxpayer. This, this would be during the planning phases where they're getting the permits lined up, they're getting the final designs completed. Phase two would go up an additional $0.10 cents, uh, increase. That would be the beginning of the foundation, uh, putting in the walls, laying in the electorate. Year three would go up another $0.18. Cents. That would be the major year in getting all of the uh, outside framework completed and finishing off the inside. Your four be a two cent increase, which is going to be used for finishing up and getting the certificate of occupancy so that we can move the kids in the following year. Now, a lot of people might be saying, well, why not just put portable classrooms out at Sussex Central and, and, and the other overcrowded schools? But this isn't the ideal solution. Why is that? A couple of reasons, Dave. One, safety is a huge issue. Once we put up portables, we have to put some type of fencing around to keep people out. Uh, that also keeps people in. So if you have an emergency and need to get those kids out to a, 
a desired location, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I think foremost, in, in taking a look at the school and the, the current size, portables will give you a very basic classroom of about 30 feet by 24 feet. That's room for about 25 students and a teacher. It leaves little room for any storage, which means, one, it cannot be used for science labs because we don't have any way to store the science equipment and we don't have the space to have the kids able to move around to complete the labs. Two, we can't use it for uh, CTE courses such as agriculture, uh, TSA, which would be our, our shop areas, um, ag mechanics. These sort of courses need a much larger area than is available in the classroom. So by bringing in portables, we're taking care of the structurally basic classroom, but what we're going to do is drastically increases the size in our CTE courses and our science courses because we can't bring in those trailers to equate to the sizes needed for those types of classes. Now the board has already approved um, the installation of six portable classrooms next year at three different schools, and that with two classrooms in each unit, that's actually 12 portable classrooms we'll be installing next year. But this morning, you gave us some interesting figures about if the referendum does not pass and this situation continues as to the situation we're going to be looking at around 2024, 2025. Can you fill us in on those figures? Sure. This is, this is kind of astounding, and this is going to be a direct impact on our uh, operating funds for the district if we do not pass this referendum. We are looking at six portables, or 12 classrooms, as you would say. Um, that's going to equate over a five-year uh, cost or lease program of about $800,000. However, when we project out to the 24-25 school year and we take a look at how many portables, we would need about 22 portables total. That would be the first six plus an additional 16. That would put us at a cost somewhere around 3.2 million over a five-year period for renting and leasing the portables. That breaks down, you know, if you, if you break that down over a year, you're between and $700,000 a year. And the lease amounts that we pay for portable classrooms, we don't get any money from the state to do that. That directly comes from our operational funding, which means we're predicting to not go back for current expense, hopefully for about six to eight years. If we have to go with portables, like rest assured, we will have to go back for operational funding much sooner. And so basically in, in the process of putting the budget together, we would have to set aside over $600,000 right off the bat for that if it gets to that point. That's correct. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. And that could eventually impact other areas, the budget, instruction, and that type of thing. It's going to continually, It's going as I said before, it's going to continually impact instruction because number one, your hallways aren't getting any bigger, your common areas aren't getting any bigger, and there's only certain classrooms you can put in trailers. Fill us in a little bit about why this particular package is the, is the best. And I think what you've always said, we're, we're alleviating these, this problem in the northern end by building one new school. And that's where the repurposing of the other buildings comes in. Can you talk a little bit about that and the savings that it provides? Yeah, a couple things. Not only is it, is it, it, it it's a great way to go you don't want to build too many schools. If you ever bottomed out in enrollment in the future, you don't want to be operating schools, too many schools that you would have to run a maintenance schedule for. So by building one, we're able to accomplish a few things. We would have two large buildings, the new high school we build plus the old Sussex Central. If you take a look at the growth factor, 
if if we move a thousand to eleven hundred middle school kids into the old Sussex Central High School, we still have room for five to six hundred students. That's overflow for middle and high school above and beyond what we're predicting that we will have. In the old Millsboro Middle School is converted to an elementary. It enables us to bring down the enrollments at East, Long Neck, Georgetown Elementary, North Georgetown, our four major elementary schools in the north, down to around 720 uh, to 750 students, which is exactly where they should be size-wise. But the most important part, Dave, that still gives you about 120 student growth in each of those elementary schools. So realistically, when you look at not just the fact that you're taking care of the enrollment in 24-25, you're also building capacity for larger enrollments coming down the road for the next set of 10 years. I think what's interesting, too, and I want, I want you to address this, too, because it seems like you know a lot of the focus has been on the northern end of the district. However, there's a lot of growth in the southern end, too, and with the additions at Indian River and Selbyville Middle School, I mean, is it safe to say this is going to help prevent in the southern end, what's being what's being experienced in the northern end right now? Absolutely, we want to make sure that that we we you know keep a leg up on what's coming in the future. And you know, taking a look at Selbyville, Selbyville is a relatively small middle school. It wasn't large when it was built back in the '90s, and whatever additions have happened have been minimal. Um, this the, the four classrooms there would max us at that particular location. So we're looking uh, that that if you take a look at the enrollment over time. We're looking for that enrollment to sort of plateau and level out right around 800. We're looking at Indian River to reach as high as 1,050, maybe 1,100, which means that the classrooms that we're adding there would give us a good 8 to 10 year buffer before we would need anything else. The other thing I want you to address here is is the, the critical nature of this referendum. You've talked about it already. If the referendum passes, it's going to be a good four years before the new, the new high school opens. I think the scary part, though, is if it doesn't pass this time, that's going to set that schedule back even more. And can you just talk a little bit about what the, I guess, the consequences could be should this referendum not pass? And Well, I think the you know, average thought would be, well, if it doesn't pass this year, you come back next year and have another referendum, but it doesn't work that way. We have to turn in a certificate of necessity, which is a plan to the state. Uh, this year, there were two school districts that were able to get funding. That would be the Capital School District and the Indian River School District. We have failed uh, our first attempt on our major capital. Capital is coming up, I think, tomorrow um, for theirs, and, and they'll see where they fall. But what, what happens when you go through that certificate of necessity process, you're not guaranteed just because you put a plan in. There were numerous school districts this year that did not receive any funding. I know Smyrna, Appaquinimic, these are high needs areas that are continuing to grow, particularly those two districts. And my fear is, Dave, that if we come back next year there's no guarantee that the state's going to allow us to do a referendum and that but, would set us back way way more true remember as you said it's a very important point we're already going to be four years behind if we pass the referendum it's going to take four years to build a building however with the portables we've brought in i believe we can manage without bringing in more portables if we do it would be no more than one or two however if we don't pass this referendum we're at the whim of the state on whether or not they approve us for a major capital expense. They are going to allow other districts to come in, and it's going to move us farther back on the queue. So we're not starting at zero. We're starting at four. So if it's one, two, or three years before the state allows us again, then we're looking anywhere from five to seven years 
before the problems will be solved, which means we'll be putting a lot of money out for trailer leases before we ever get the opportunity to come back for another major capital referendum. What else, just in general, do residents need to know as this referendum approaches? One, we have worked very hard over the last two years to increase our financial health. And uh, currently, we, we are much healthier than I ever dreamed we would be at this point. And we've done that by making good business decisions and decisions for needs and not wants. In, in doing so, we've been able to drop the second question off this referendum. The first time around, we were asking for a nine-cent current expense. Uh, I and Jan Steele have conveyed to the board that due to our financial health and increase in tax receipts, we believe we can pull it off without asking for that from the taxpayers. So this time around is going to be nine cents cheaper than the first referendum. And with that, we're only looking at one cost, and that would be for the major capital. Okay, the last, last question I'm going to ask you, and this is probably the most important one, have you ever been caught up in the Sussex Central shuffle? I have. <laughs> I have. Uh, actually, I've been caught up in that shuffle actually two years ago when they were over 1,600 and uh, had uh, Jimmy Pennywell from DOE with me, and then we managed to make it down to the cafeteria, and he was amazed at how crowded <laughs> it was with 16. Today, we're up to 1,700. In a couple more years, you know, we're going to be up, Dave, around you know, 19, uh, 2,000, and unless we do something drastically, that is going to be a severely overcrowded building. Let's fill you in on the particulars of the referendum. Voting on Tuesday, May 7th will be from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the following local polling places. East Millsboro Elementary School, Georgetown Elementary School, Indian River High School, Long Neck Elementary School, Lord Baltimore Elementary School, and Selbyville Middle School. Eligible voters must live within the boundaries of the Indian River School District, be U.S. citizens at least 18 years of age, and provide identification at the polling place. Voter registration is not required and residents do not have to be property owners in order to vote. Residents can vote at any of the six polling places. Absentee voting is handled by the Sussex County Department of Elections. Absentee ballots are available by mail until noon on May 3rd and in person until noon on May 6th. Affidavits are available at all district schools or at irsd.net slash referendum. For more information, contact the Department of Elections at 302-856-5367. In the coming weeks, the district will host two public meetings and a Facebook Live session to explain the referendum to local residents. The public meetings will be on Thursday, April 11th at 6.30 p.m. at Sussex Central High School and Tuesday, April 16th at 6.30 p.m. at Indian River High School. The Facebook Live session will be on Thursday, May 2nd at 7.30 p.m. on the district Facebook page at Indian River School District Delaware. District residents are encouraged to visit the district's referendum website at irsd.net slash referendum for additional information about the referendum. The site includes frequently asked questions, photo galleries of overcrowded schools, absentee ballot information, a PowerPoint presentation, and more. Anyone with questions is also encouraged to call the district's referendum hotline at 
SD Spotlight is produced by the Indian River School District. Episodes can be accessed through iTunes or by visiting irsd.net and going to the podcast link under the Discover IRSD tab. It is also available through several mobile podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more great news and information from the Indian River School District. Until then, remember that Indian River truly is a model of excellence.